This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So when you look at game two of this series, they lose the game three to two. I think we remember that. They score the two runs in the first inning. Pete hits the home run. That I didn't think was a home run. Then you see the replay. It was a home run. Then Jamison Tyone shuts them down completely. When the Mets lose that game 3-2, to two, and Drew Smith comes in and does what he does best, which gives up a home run, and the Met offense does what they do best, which is not able to get the big hit, I was numb to the loss. Okay, that, That's how I would phrase it. I still want to see them win. I enjoyed winning game one of this series. I enjoyed watching them win game three of this series. But I do, and I did find myself very numb to the loss in game two, which means we're almost getting the best of both worlds here. When they win, it's nice. When they lose, it's, uh, okay, let me go about my night. (laughs) Okay, it's not eating my soul the way it did in April, May, June, and July. And, And that's definitely how I felt about game two, because they lost game two. If this game was played in May or June or July, I, I tell you right now, we're doing an instant reaction. Like that's what that's how bad that loss really was. I mean, think about it. They scored two runs in the first inning. They get a cheap two-out double from Omar Narvaez in the second inning, and then they proceed to make Jamison Tyone look like he's the second coming. They get mowed down. Sixteen in a row is retired. We watch the slow. I don't want to rip Carlos Carrasco, but he's handed a two-nothing lead. He gives one back in the fourth. He Gives one back in the fifth. We watch Drew Smith do what he does best, which is give up the home run of Mike Cockman of all people. Boy, the Yankees could use him right now, can't they? And then, of course, the Mets have a golden opportunity. 2-1, two, 2 out in the eighth inning. McNeil grounds out. They get the leadoff man on in the ninth inning. And then big freaking Daniel Vogel back bounces into a double play. Like, that game had all the makings of the typical frustrating loss. but because we're sitting there 10 games I'm under 500. We, or at least I am, a little bit more numb to it. That's the one positive that comes out of it. But that, that had all the makings of your brutal 2023 Met loss. An offense that goes limp, uh, starting pitching's okay, doesn't go deep enough, and Drew Smith decides to just, you know, stone-cold stun us and send us home as losers. It was, it was typical. No, no, you nailed it, my boy. You you, you missed the big play too, my boy. Jan Gomes with an RBI double as well in, in game two, which he uh, he likes <laughs> to go off against the uh, Mets and the Yankees when he's in town. 
Well, I'm glad you brought that up, but then also Jan Gomes got thrown out by Carlos Carrasco trying to go to third with uh, nobody out. You want to bring that one up, or you know, that, that, that. that's his that's his boy, by the way. They used to be teammates with Cleveland, so uh, I think that was a little, that was a little friendly thing going on. <laughs> that was a fun inning, that fifth inning, because you had Jan Gomes thrown out trying to go to third with nobody out, and then Carrasco picked off Nick Madrigal, so we got two of the three outs by just throwing guys out on the base paths. Which was, you know, I guess nice to see. I don't know what to think about with Carlos Carrasco because he's one of the guys who kind of fits the bill of there's no future with him. It, it's similar to Danny Mendick. It's similar to Daniel Vogelback. It's similar to Abraham Almonte, uh, to Jonathan Aruz. Guys that are here, guys that are taking up space, guys that, yeah, I get why they're here because you have to fill out a roster. But unlike McGill and Peterson, who you can at least watch and say, hey, they're battling for a rotation spot or really more so battling for a bullpen spot or battling to be a depth guy next year. I mean, Carlos Carrasco is just here. That's all he is. And if the Mets had more young pitching that were ready to get the opportunity, I'd say send them away. He's a nice guy. He's had a nice career. But Carlos Carrasco every five days is the, the least of the guys in the rotation right now. And I know this is, you know, such a pathetic list to make. Who do I want to watch start? Senga's number one. Quintana's number two. Peterson's three. McGill's four. And then Carrasco's not even fifth. He's like 50th. Because <laughs> those other four guys, again, I can rationalize them being on the team next year or them fighting to prove something. Carrasco's literally just filling out his baseball reference website. That's all he's doing right now. So when he pitches badly or well, does it freaking matter? I mean, it means nothing. Well, let me ask you a question, though, because if they decide to DFA him tomorrow, do you think a team is actually going to pick him up? Yo, yeah, I think there would be a team that would pick him up, yeah. I mean, I, I naively thought that a team, if the Mets ate the salary, would pick him up at the trade deadline only because he's a veteran with experience. And if you're a team like Cincinnati or a team like Baltimore – why not? I'm not even saying he'd be in the rotation, but why not? You know, why not have a guy like that on your roster? With that zero six, <laughs> well, I, I get he hasn't been good, but he has a re- he still has a resume. You know what I mean? Like he still has yeah. uh, the resume of pitching in the postseason and just being a major league pitcher, as bad as he's been this year, and he's been crappy. I agree with that. Uh, Mike Vassell certainly made a, an impact the other day. I mean, Mike Vassell took a no hitter into the ninth inning. So, you know, I saw that and I'm thinking, all right, can he, is he ready to come up yet? I know he hasn't been dominating at AAA, but that was something nice to see. My favorite part of this game, game two of this series, was Pete hits a ball to center field that initially looks like an RBI double, one nothing Mets. You see on the replay, it's clearly a home run. So, and Pete, were you, you, Hoff, you said you were at this game, game two of this series? Yeah. So you you may have missed this. This bothered me for some reason. So Pete sees on the big screen, hey, this is clearly a home run. This is going to be overturned because the umpires are reviewing it. So he then proceeds before it's overturned to start rounding the bases. And the third base umpire, Ramon de Jesus, stops him and says, no, 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 no. You get back to second base. It hasn't been overturned yet. <laughs> Meanwhile, we all see it is clearly a home run. It's going to be overturned. Pete goes back to second base. 
Then they overturn it. And then you see Pete looking. I'm like, oh, am, am I allowed to now? Can I round the bases now? Am I okay now? But look, not as bad as uh, an Angel Hernandez situation. But come on. <laughs> we, all come saw, on. we all saw it. Like at the, the, I, oh, I, did? I, did, I didn't miss that at all because, first of all, off the bat, I thought it was a, it was a home run. I was like, oh, it definitely could the the orange hit the black wall. I thought it, I saw that from the get go. So then once the replay happened, like, dude, that screen is gigantic. No one's missing that. It was obvious. Like they saw it too. So like, what the hell are we waiting for? Let them go. It, it, there are certain replay calls where you're not sure. Like there was a pickoff play in Game Three of this series with Lindor. They initially called him out. They overturned it. Where. You're not sure if they're going to overturn it because sometimes it needs to be so overwhelming. But on home runs like that, the one that Pete hit, it clearly hit the black wall. It clearly hit the back wall, which makes it a home run. But he's been, man, Pete's been incredible. You know, I know I mentioned that earlier in the pod, how great he's been and where these final numbers are going to go. His average is even coming up lately. Really since, I guess it's July 20th, is the line of demarcation. So you're talking about, we're talking about three weeks, uh, almost uh, more than that, I guess. Yeah, about three weeks where he has been so freaking locked in. And I don't want it to be thrown out as, well, they're out of it now. Who cares? It, it shouldn't be because a hot streak's a hot streak. And yeah, it sucks that the rest of the team was bad enough where the Mets had to trade guys off. And Pete, Pete contributed too. Don't get me wrong. Like he had a stretch where he was hitting 140, 150. But right now, he is so locked in at the plate, and it's fun to watch. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, let me just do a couple things here. First of all, I don't know if you uh, – there was a record they put up on the board. I'm not sure if they put it up on TV that he set tonight. Do you know what that is? A record he set in game three of this series. Is it a record related to home runs against one team? No. But it is a record for home runs, yes. Home runs in a series? Home runs. It is, he, he is the first Met to have four seasons of 35-plus home runs. Wow. Wow. He was, he was tied third. I think it was Strawberry, Piazza, and I'm blanking on the third guy that it was. But, but he is now alone in... One player hitting 35-plus home runs or more in four different seasons. I mean, this is what's what's going to start happening with Pete Alonso, by the way. Oh, no, he's going to own. If the Mets re-sign him long-term, he'll own every record in the books. My guess would be Beltron. How many times did Carlos Beltron hit 35 home runs in a season? I'm going to pull it up real quick. Uh, 2006. Actually, wow, he only did it one time. In 2006, he had 41 home runs. He hit 33 and 07, 27 and 08, 22 and 11. So, yeah, it wasn't even Carlos Beltran. So, what, what did you say it was three times of hitting 35 home runs in a season? Three seasons of 35 or more home runs. 
Wow. Well, who, who, you know, who you know what makes sense about it? When you think, and you mentioned the other sluggers, Mike Piazza, Daryl Strawberry. Kingman. We, we, did you say Danny Mendick? No, no, Kingman. Kingman's got to oh, be the Dave, third guy. Dave Kingman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, as a franchise, have not had sluggers for an extended period of time. I mean, Daryl Strawberry and Mike Piazza are almost the opposite because Daryl, they let leave in free agency. Mike's the guy they acquired right before he was about to hit free agency with L.A. and then Florida. So we haven't had, and I think that's part of what makes Pete so special if the Mets lock him up long term and why he'll own every record in the books, we haven't had, and David was a tremendous player. He wasn't a slugger, though. I think we all know that. We haven't had a slugger that spent 10 years here, that was able to spend their entire career here. So it's really not a surprise when you think about it. And, and I think that Pete, like, you look at him, one thing he's proven in his time at the major league level, and I knock on wood, when I say this, even though he's already screwed it up this year by getting hit by that Charlie Morton pitch, is he plays. Is he goes out there and he plays. He is reliable. And Gary Cohen and Keith and Ron were having an interesting discussion at the finale of this series, talking about how the Atlanta Braves have broken the mold in terms of they play their guys every single day. And we've had this trend over the last decade or so where Guys get rest days where guys don't play 162 games a year anymore. Like, it, it just doesn't happen. And that the Atlanta Braves have a bunch of guys who go out there and play every single day. And I got to credit Buck with this. The Mets do, too, because Francisco Lindor plays every single day. I mean, when was the last time Lindor got a, quote, rest day? He plays. You know, he may have a child, and Buck may say, I'm not going to play you tonight, but Francisco Lindor plays every single day. Brandon Nimmo, when healthy, plays every single day. Pete Alonzo, when healthy, plays every single day. I don't mean to take a shot at other teams, but why not? Did the Yankees do that? I'm, I'm serious. Did, did the New York Yankees, with their healthy players, play every single day? No, they don't. And they're not alone. There's a lot of teams that do that. The Mets, I give them credit. I know Gary was talking about it more in context with the Braves, but the Mets have guys that go out and play every single day and Buck isn't holding them back. And Pete's one of those guys. And I appreciate that because right now, if you ask me, who would you rather have on your team, a guy who plays 120 games every year, but is a monster and is better than Pete, or a guy that'll go out and play 150 games every year and be what Pete is, I'd almost rather have the guy that goes out and plays. I mean, it just, it's a reliability thing. So I, I don't want to turn every Rico into this is why Pete needs to be re-signed or this is why trading Pete is stupid. But every once in a while, it's, it's worth bringing up. Because I'll, I'll say this one more time, and I hope I don't have to go crazy about it. Letting DeGrom go pissed me off, and I argued against it. Trading Pete, unless it's some kind of trade none of us see coming, or not re-signing him is three times dumber than not bringing back Jacob DeGrom. And I don't want to have to go down this road of it being a thing. I hope it's not a thing. I hope they re-sign him at the end of the season, and then we never have to talk about this stupid thing again. Well, you know, people say the core is broken and that this core is not good. But let's be serious. Let's break down the core. Who is the core players? Lindor, Alonzo. 
Nimmo, and you throw McNeil in there. Three out of the four have had pretty solid seasons. Like, like the numbers for Lindor and Alonzo are going to match to what we kind of talked about. They're going to hit. We always knew Alonzo was going to be close to 40, 110, 120 RBIs. And Lindor, we were hoping for another 30, 100 season. And he's going to pull that off. Nimmo, his you know, batting average may be down a little bit. But for the most part, like his power came through. Uh, so, so is the core broken? No, they they don't pitch well. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that's been my point since you know April, and that's not to exonerate everything else with the offense. I mean, the offense has had its issues this season. Jeff McNeil, up until recently, has had a terrible season. Um, third base production, which we thought was going to be better, has been awful. Has been terrible. They've gotten very little production out of their corner outfield spots. Their DH spot has been terrible. So again, it's not to exonerate their offense, but no, I I don't agree with that. I don't agree that, you know, the core of Alonzo, Lindor, Nimmo, and McNeil are the main culprits. I think McNeil's certainly a big culprit, but I don't think that's the reason why they've struggled. Uh, I think there's a lot of other reasons why we're unfortunately in the position we're in. But as far as the finale is concerned, you know, I mentioned Pete hits another home run. Jeff McNeil hits a home run. The Mets come back from 2-0 down. They tie it at 2. They take the lead in the sixth inning on the McNeil home run and the RBI single by, of all people, Jonathan Aruz or Araz or whatever the hell you want to call him. I I apologize. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he has a lot of pride in his last name, so I want to show respect to the Aruz family and get it right. The Jonathan Aruz family, he comes through with an RBI single. And the Met bullpen did an outstanding job. I mean, Grant Hartwig was great. Trevor Gott had a clean inning. Josh Walker may have been the most impressive guy. He strikes out Bellinger in game two of this series. He comes out in the eighth inning with a two-run lead against the heart of the order, gets Ian Happ to fly out, strikes out Bellinger again, and strikes out Dansby Swanson. And that's fun. That's interesting because Josh Walker is one of those guys battling for his future of the Met bullpen life. Like, could Josh Walker be a lefty out of the bullpen in 2024? Uh, So far, the early returns have been no, but in his last two games against Cody Bellinger, he's given you some reason to say, hmm, interesting. I wish David Peterson would be stretched out more because I don't even know what to say about his performance today. Now, was it bad? I I don't know. He gives up the home run on the first pitch of the game to Christopher Morrell, which all gave us – the heebie-jeebies at Derek Jeter, first pitch, boom, home run, left center field. He gives up the run in the second inning, which was not helped out by a pass ball by Francisco Alvarez to triple to Saya Suzuki, which was really bad defense because McNeil couldn't run that down, which turned it into a triple. And then Alvarez commits the pass ball. Then he loses the plate in the third inning, but gets a huge double play against Ian Happ, gets the first two outs in the fourth, and then gives up a couple of base hits and then he gets pulled. So I, I can't tell you David Peterson was great by any stretch of the imagination, but I can't also say he was terrible. He only threw 62 pitches, and Buck took him out so early that, hey, if he gets through the fourth inning, and let's say pitches a clean fifth, all of a sudden you're looking at five innings, two runs, with one of those runs really coming because of bad defense, that's not a bad performance. But he didn't pitch long enough. So I, I think as time goes on, obviously David Peterson's pitch count will start to expand, and we'll get to see. I still would have preferred to have watched him out of the bullpen, but I guess looking at this Met rotation right now, if you use Peterson out of the bullpen the way I wanted, how the hell would they have filled out this rotation? They don't. They just don't have enough starters. 